everyone. Nice to see you all. Those that weren't here last week, um, we heard a talk about communion, and I asked, yeah, I was really powerful, and it got me thinking during the week. It was a um, good leading topic to um, repentance. Repentance is a it's an interesting topic, so I spent the week sort of delving into it, and um, I think it ties very well to to communion and the importance that Pastor Bill encouraged us last week that communion and the service we we go through um and he termed it it's probably one of the rituals that we do because we do it every every sunday that we we can't let it just become that's just something we do and now you know what happens is as human beings and uh i'm i'm guilty of it as well um our mind slips and our heart actually slips away from that really important understanding and it was a really good reminder just to bring us back and um, it got me to thinking about repentance and um, when we're, we're sorry about something um, or, or in some cases we condemn ourselves, um, what, what does the Lord want from us when, we talk, when he talks about wanting us to repent? And um, we'll, we'll just jump over to Matthew 4. And the context, um, the reason this was of... of a little bit on my mind is I'd had a chat a couple of weeks back and um, we're very much living in a world of acceptance. So what I mean by that is that if you want to feel or think a certain way, it's my prerogative to think however I wish, however I want, I can act and do whatever I want. And you can't actually tell me that I'm wrong, that I'm doing things maybe not quite up to, to standard. And it's a, as a church, uh, we need to be conscious and understanding that we, we don't preach a message of acceptance. Jesus' message is a, a message of repentance and it's a message of change. Now, what's exciting about that? Repentance might be a dirty word in, in the world. Are you guilty of anything? I'm, I'm not going to repent. I don't need to change the way I am. Whereas opposite, is what Christ says, is that I need you to repent. I need you to acknowledge where you need to change. But the hook with it is it's not about feeling sorry or condemned. It's actually about change. And that's actually really exciting because I don't know how you guys do life, but I'm, I'm a long way from perfect and I need help. And, you know, we we mess up and things change, um, not for the better, as we heard in testimony today, things aren't getting easier and better and then we're not uh, somehow doing life so well that things are on the improve. As humankind, we we messed up. We're doing some crazy stuff. And I'm not a climate change, uh, what's the word, apologist, or, and I don't deny it, I fully believe we are damaging this earth, our cr- lovely creation that, that we heard about in testimony. We are wrecking this world. Um, all the political stuff, I'm not getting into that. But we haven't got we haven't got it sussed. And the Lord is saying to us, you're messing it up. Here is a powerful tool to help you change. And I would like to think if you're here today, you're in the changing business. You're prepared to sit here and say, you know what? I can't do it on my own. I can't live my life to its fullest extent. And I am willing to change. Amen? And it's changed to what Christ wants, not not what the 
the world wants. What we want necessarily is individuals, but are we prepared to change? And that's the question I'll, I guess I'll put out there to start with. Matthew 4, verse 16. So this is talking about Jesus entering Jerusalem, and in verse 16 it says, People which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is, this is Christ's first teaching. The first thing he goes to is repent. Okay, You need to acknowledge that the direction you're going is not headed towards salvation, it's not heading towards blessing, and it's not heading where I want you to go. The first thing he says, he preaches the kingdom of heaven and the fact that we need to repent. And why would that be Christ's first topic? Why would he go there? I would assume that he places fairly high importance on it. I think he would say, okay, that's that's one of the first things you guys need to consider. And as new Christians, we we get that concept. We we can understand our life might be heading in a direction, we might be living our life a certain way, and we'd like to change. Is that a one-time thing? Question for you guys? I'll hope to show you that scripturally it's not. We actually, as practicing Christians, as followers of Jesus, we actually need to be continually repentant. And that's not to say that we're meant to self-condemn or be down on ourselves, but we need to continually return the look to the Lord and actually ask him to keep changing us. Let's jump across to Acts 2 verse 38. Maybe a scripture you've read once or twice. Again, this is probably directed at people that, again, haven't maybe necessarily made a, dis- a decision to live their, their life for Christ. And in verse 38, again, we know it well. Then Peter said unto them, again, first cab off the rank, repent, first step, then be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all them that are afar off, being us today even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and in the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. Repentance is a mechanism of saving yourself. It's the first step. And as I said, I'm going to clarify, we we are not talking about self-condemnation. It is knowing our position in Christ and what he's offering us and having the humility to actually say, yes, I I want that. I I want to change and I want to be led of Jesus. That's the first step. That opens the door. And as as we read on there, the spirit is promised and it comes in and it does the changing. But we need to be repentant first. Acts 3.19, if you want to jump over there quickly. We've got a few little scriptures to bounce to. And again, it's much the same. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Again, repentance, again, is the mechanism that starts our sin being wiped clear it's the it's the starting block and as a new christian um again 
and Pastor Bill mentioned it last week. Um, if if you think your sins are too great or you've got too much going on, you've done too much bad stuff, join the queue. I think he used those sort of words. Uh, we all we all fall short, and the scripture tells us it calls it says you're a liar if you honestly can sit here and think that no, I've got no sins to blot out or I don't need to convert or change or repent, we all fall short. And that's what makes it all the more exciting, that despite our shortcomings, despite our past, despite what we've done with our time, the Lord is there to step in and the refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And we heard it in testimony today, that infilling of the Spirit and that changing of the heart. So, you're a new Christian. You've come to this understanding you you're prepared to sit there and say yep i need change the spirits come in your life is improved all good we're done now sweet we just wait for the lord to return we're all good amen no not quite right is it we are continually encouraged and we'll just it's an old testament scripture 2 chronicles 14 you can turn there or i can just read it out as well it says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So this is talking to people that are chosen of God. They've had that infilling of the Spirit. They are actually living a life for Christ. They've been called by name we are still encouraged to be humble. We are still encouraged to understand our place and that, yes, we will fall short. We don't like it. We don't, we don't live in sin and we don't want to live in sin, but sin will be present in our life. We're of this world and we see it. Sin's, sin's interesting. Like it's, um, we, we look at the big sins, but it, it talks down to if you, if a man looks at a woman and has a desire in his heart, that's a sin. How be open, I'm a male, and that's impossible. In the flesh, if you never notice a woman, right, good luck to you. It's not possible. <laughs> He's painting a picture of that to be completely sinless, it's we're no chance. It's not physically possible. But if we're prepared to be humble and humility it's again it's a starting block yes we can admit we fall short but in our heart we desire to change we desire to see the spirit improve us and change us and mold us to be like christ that's repentance uh you can just uh, jump across to james 4 6 again just to back up the humility it reads there in verse 6, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. This is a bit I want to, to look at. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Again, repentance. Humble repentance and, and genuine repentance leads to a cleansing of our hands, leads to a cleansing of our of our body. 
purify your hearts. It's the mechanism that will actually get the rubbish that we can develop in our heart. It's the thing that will remove that and cleanse us. And resisting the devil, I know the way the devil works in me. He he puts stuff there. He puts stuff in, in your mind and in your heart. And repentance is the mechanism to remove it. And it's powerful, but we need to be conscious of it. We need to be conscious of this stuff as it starts to come in. We repent of it, and the Lord's actually given us some really good instruction with how to, how to deal with that. We'll go on to that now. 1 John 1 verse 4, and this is a really good clarifying point. This is what he, We've written these things, and it says, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. So we will read through this, but repentance is a key to joy and happiness, is what I read here. Then this then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We say we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness we lie, and we do not the truth. But if we walk in light, and we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and, and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make a, him a liar, and the word is not in us. In James 5, it goes on to encourage us again. Uh, to confess our faults one to another. What does that look like in your life? Um, I've had experience. I've had occasion where I've had to confess to doing something wrong, and it's not very enjoyable. Um, does that mean I have to get up here in front of everybody and confess what I did wrong yesterday or the day before? No, it doesn't mean that. It can mean that. It doesn't necessarily mean that. I think we read and we understand that our brotherly and sisterly relationships with each other is where we go with that. We go, if we are struggling, we need to have a brother or a sister or a relationship with our oversight where we can go and talk to somebody and actually put out there where we're at, what we're struggling with, what we need help with. The power of repentance is getting it off your shoulders. It's not your job to carry it. But we need to start by confessing where we're at. And as I said, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's uh, we, we have fear. We have fear of judgment. We have fear of how we might look. Uh, but I can say from personal experience, once you get it out, you start feeling a whole lot better. So it's tough, and then it gets better. And the Lord has really given us the tools and the power to step out in faith and he will back that attitude. He will back the the overcoming of the fear and he will be there to bless. And I can say again from experience, you will not get a cold shoulder. You will not get judgment. You will get help. You will get love and you will get direction. It's then up to you what you do with that. And the second part of confessing your faults is actually we need to do something about it. It's not actually good enough to say, put your hand up and say, yep, 
I'm struggling in this area. And then on the other hand, say, well, I'm going to just accept this and let this be part of my life. So part of the actions that come after uh, confessing, it actually tells us there again in James 5, we, we confess our faults one to the, the other. The first thing is we pray. That's what it says. It says, and pray for one another that you might be healed. So the attitude is, yes, this is where I'm at. But the second part of the attitude is we go to the Lord. We go to him in prayer and we seek healing. And he will. He has promised that he will heal. The other thing that when we share our problems with our brethren is that we halve the problem in a sense. It's not our burden to carry on our own. And as brothers and sisters, we are called to be helpful to each other. We are called to help out each other overcome whatever issues we're dealing with. And again, when it talks about a threefold cord, but you've got yourself and maybe a brother or sister and then the Holy Spirit, that's, that's the way we deal with what our issues. That's the way we deal with our sin. First point is, yes, confess, but I want to reiterate today, it's not okay to leave sin in your life. Once we recognize it, the Lord has actually told us to share it. Then we pray. The third part of it is we then are called to use that testimony to help others. So that's the three points and the three strengths of true repentance. Yes, we get it out. Yes, we deal with it. But then we're prepared to testify and actually share the power of God in removing sin. And that that leads to an exciting proposition leads to a church full of overcomers, leads to a church full of people that aren't held back by self-condemnation or are down, dragged down by sin, but rather overcoming sin, doing it together, and then offering it for those that need it. That's an exciting church. That's a church I want to be a part of, and that's Jesus working through this mechanism of repentance. John 2.13 I mentioned this at NYC a little while ago, and I actually got did a bit more reading and it brought something else out um, a bit later. But this uh, in John two thirteen, I was talking about uh, when Jesus had entered Jerusalem and he actually entered the temple and uh, he saw the money changers there and uh, trading and people trying to capitalize off off the temple, and he saw it as he really saw it as sin, something that in there that he wasn't prepared to put up with in the Father's temple. And I sort of described uh, at NYC, I described Jesus' attitude of, um, I don't know how I said it, but he went into a bit of a rage. He went into the temple and he was flipping tables. He was he was in there and they, they all knew about it. I'll, I'll read it. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. This is a bit that stood out to me later. So he made a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts. So Christ was not happy, but he went in there, yes, and he was you know, he 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 made his presence known. But he also he made a whip. So he that was not a reactionary, oh, I'm angry, let's go in there and, and blow it up. He stepped back and made a whip. That took time. He was contemplating, thinking, 
pub and he was still prepared to go back in there and and remove the sin. But he did it with a heart that he didn't want sin in his father's temple. And I really think that's what he's teaching us. Spend the time, contemplate, but then go in there and get rid of it. I just thought that was really, I read that heaps of times and then that came out to me later that, man, he actually, it wasn't reactionary in that sense. Yes, it was get it out of there, but he was very purposeful. And it just goes on to say in verse 17, his disciples remember that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And that's really, um, Christ had a, had a real zeal to keep his father's house clean. And I think he's trying to teach us a lesson that sin doesn't belong in our temple. As Mitch, that was classic, the song that we sang about the temple, his praise fills the temple, um, just really leads into that concept. He doesn't want sin in our life. Yes, we will fall short. Yes, we have a mechanism for repentance and removing it. But we need to have a zeal to keep our temple clean. He will bless that. And that's his attitude that he had when he went into the temple. Luke 5, and just for time's sake, we don't have to go there, but um, talks about Christ coming not for the righteous, but sinners to, but to bring sinners to repentance. You can jot that down and read it later. Christ's whole message is for us. As sinners, he is come to remove sin from our life. He's not come for the righteous. As I've already discussed, those that think that they're righteous, they're having themselves on because we all fall short. But he has come for you and he's come for your sin. And that's a, that's a hard concept sometimes. We do, we, we, for whatever reason, I don't know whether it's, what's the word when you always think about yourself or you think yourself different to everyone? Narcissistic, is it? Self-righteous, yep. Narcissistic, you sort of think that everything you've done is somehow worse or um, even better than other people. We have all sinned and fall short, and he has come to save you and those things you've done and to remove them from your life. That concept of actually moving it from removing other people's sin and directing that back to yourself can be hard but I'm encouraging you today that that's what the Lord's done for you and it's a very powerful mechanism to, to remove sin and doubt and everything you don't want in your life. That's what this mechanism's for. Psalm 51. Wouldn't be a talk about repentance if we didn't mention David. And look, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but um, David committed some horrendous sins. Uh, earlier in Psalms we read about that. Whilst he was a, a a person after God's own heart, he he did some terrible stuff. And I just want to break down Psalm 51 just briefly. Again, we don't have time to, to go through it all. But there's three distinct parts to this psalm, and there's three things that David prays. The first one is that he asks God to cleanse him. So when we talk about true repentance, this is a good model. This, if you, you want a model, this is a good model. First thing he asks is cleanse me. So we, we read in verse 2, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from sin. For I acknowledge my trans transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So our first prayer when we talk about repentance is, Lord, 
cleanse me. Let's get rid of this. I recognize where I'm at and I want you to cleanse me of it. He goes on all the way through to verse 7 and it says, Purge me with hyssop. Now, I've actually, um, anyone know what hyssop is? Ziggy does, mint. It's, I think it's a Middle Eastern mint is its origins and it's got, um, it's actually properties, it's actually ingested and it cleans you from the inside out. So it's a, just a, a level of, of purge me, purge me with hyssop, so clean me and I shall be clean, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. So that's the first part, cleanse me. The second part is restore me. Lord, restore me. Verse 8, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the spirit within me. So that's really saying, Lord, yes, I'm cleansed. Now restore me, restore my joy, restore my heart. Put it back to where you want it to be. Uh, verse 12, restore the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. So part two uh, is cleanse me, then restore me. And then the third part, uh, we'll just duck down to verse 18. and says, do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem, and thou shalt be pleased with the sacrifices of the righteous, with burnt offerings and whole offering, burnt offerings, and thou shalt offer bullocks upon thine altar. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. So I, I read into that as in the third part is now use me. Use me to build good. Use me to be a, a benefit to others. I've just noted a few key differences between repentance and self-condemnation. So when we're repentant, in the natural, it's very easy to go to why was me and condemn yourself. That's That's for me. That's my natural progression. But there's a stark difference between true repentance and condemnation of yourself. Point one, repentance leaves our sin and our shortcomings behind us. We have turned and we are walking away. Condemnation remains front and centre. It affects our joy and our ability to serve others. I didn't actually mention it at the start, but repentance, the, the the base meaning of that is to turn and leave, change, change direction. So I'll just say that again because I think it's important. Repentance leaves our sin and our shortcomings behind us. Condemnation remains in front. When you feel condemned, it's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible thing that sits there and it's very difficult to get rid of. Repentance sets us free. Condemnation binds us up. Repentance brings blessing. Self-condemnation is a curse. It's a curse that we don't need to live our life in. Repentance shows us the grace of God and what he's promised us, and it allows us to show grace to others. Self-condemnation leads us to judge others more harshly. I've got a little note. Hurting people hurt people. It's just a little something I heard during the week and I thought, Pretty profound. If we don't understand the grace and repentance principle, it is very easy for us to judge others and put them down or to, to cause them grief. 
when we are repentant and we feel God's grace, it's much easier to show grace to others. 2 Corinthians verse 12 to finish up on. Very well-known scripture. It says there, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. To say that we rejoice in iniquities is probably, I find that a bit hard to, to be honest about that and say I love being persecuted. I love going through troubles. But if we understand repentance and we understand that concept that his grace is accessed through us repenting, he comes in and he he will cause things to change. So I'll just sum it up by saying that as Christians, we, we need to be repentant. We need to be repentant of, of sin that lives in us and around us. And when we are, it is the gateway to grace. It is the gateway to the Lord coming in, changing us from the inside out. And that will be the thing that affects other people, that helps other people. Amen. Amen. 